When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. The Sporting Capital on SEN on a Tuesday night. Jordan Canellis filling in for Sam Hargraves. Just a bit under the weather at the moment, Sam. No COVID, so it's all good. He'll be back in a couple of days. But we're here with you tonight on a Tuesday, 0433981116. If you want to send a text, one 736 to give us a call. Thanks to Harcourts, your move, your Harcourts. Plenty to get through on the program. Still tonight, we'll finish off this discussion on Alastair Clarkson and uh, the possibility of North Melbourne or Essendon being his uh, destination for 2023. Ben Rutten's still the coach for what it's worth at Essendon at the moment, so it's all just speculation on that front, but... North Melbourne, the one that is uh, more strongly and validly linked with uh, with Alastair Clarkson at this moment. A uh, couple of text messages to start us off on this hour because we still had plenty that were coming through from the first hour. Most Bombers fans would agree that we'd rather herd over Clarko, says Tyrone. Is that the case? I know like, I'm not disputing that Bombers fans would want James Hurd, and I think him going back to the club might be fine. That's no problem there, but... Um, despite all that happened during that time that uh, James Hurd was there and knowing what Alistair Clarkson is capable of, would that be the case widespread ac- across Bombers fans? Would all Bombers fans want James Hurd over Alistair Clarkson? I know the, the, the legend factor and you know bringing back a, a club legend would be you know very desirable for Bombers fans, but when you need a, a, a coach and you need a change of environment and a change of attitude and you know that Alistair Clarkson can do that, would you take? Would all the Bombers fans take uh, Heard still over Clarko in that scenario? Uh, Rowan from Bensdale says a word of caution, Dons. You can't parachute a coach from a fierce rival and think success is automatic. Malthouse was a great coach at West Coast and, Carl- and Collingwood, and was an abject failure at Carlton. Says Rowan. That's one scenario. I don't know if that's a big enough sample size. Nor is that. Um, that's more just correlation rather than causation. It's, you know, a, a, a coach coming in from a rival club. And that could be any coach in any circuit. I mean, there's no, yeah, there is no guarantee at all that Alistair Clarkson is going to be the man to save Essendon or North Melbourne or whoever he goes to down the track. It could He could be a failure as well. There's nothing that protects Alistair Clarkson from being a failed coach at, a, at another club. Um, but that's just one sample size and it's nothing to do, like, really. There's just correlation that... He's gone from a rival in Collingwood to Carlton McMulthouse uh, and, and failed, rather than that being the cause of the failure. 
uh, from Jacob. Uh, could Essendon do the double snatch from North, steal Clarko, and then convince Zoha to jump ship? He's been waiting for the coach announcement, says uh, says Jacob. And uh, Shane says, has that ridiculous tribunal case against Cordy been thrown out yet? That was sent uh, just a minutes before that the case was indeed thrown out uh, against Zane Cordy. So yes, uh, you're right. And you'd be pleased to find that out, Shane, that Zane Cordy has been cleared by the tribunal and will be playing this weekend, if selected, which I'm sure he will be, for the Dogs against Hawthorne. 0433 uh, is the number to send those text messages through on. Uh, Jono is on the road and has a couple of heroes and villains of a sport that I'm very fond of. Jono, welcome. G'day, Jordan. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, just before I go into the F1, um, I think with uh, Essendon fans and me being a tragic myself, um, that there's a lot of an undercurrent of wanting a fresh start and probably uh, an exhibit of our issue has been to romance ourselves with legends from yesteryear that might not be the appropriate installation for their task to uh, manage the club. Mm-hmm. But on the F1 side, um, it's a really interesting one with Piastri and uh, Ricardo because Mark Webber is Piastri's manager. Yep. And there is such a strange connection considering that uh, Ricardo replaced Webber um, that Webber has a fair few internal relationships uh, behind the scenes in F1, and he has certainly pulled a few strings in this capacity. And it is a story that continues to evolve to a place where we might see this go before the FIA, or this might be something that will either blow up in Piastri's face and possibly limit his potential or opportunity in other teams in due course. What do you think? I think I think I think Mark Webber is I think he's playing a bold game, firstly, in in really challenging uh Piastri to get to McLaren. I think Alpine is a, such a safe bet and not not a bad bet either to be at for a, as a team. So, you know, the possibility of uh, of of Piastri having, you know, possibly being at, at Williams next season as a lone driver in, in, in replacement of Nicholas Latifi is, was a possibility as of about a month ago, but the option now to be at Alpine has opened up and it's so, it's it's such an obvious move as well. Like, Fernando Alonso's not there anymore. He's off to Aston Martin to replace Vettel. So the seat is there. He's already an Alpine driver. They know him. I think it'd be a smarter move as well. So depending on, you know, what your opinion is of the car, McLaren and Alpine are probably around about the same mark this season anyway. Alpine may be marginally better, who knows? Um, they've been sort of, you know, around the, around the same mark. Um, but who knows for next season? But the seat is there, and he's a, he's a known quantity to Alpine as well. So he's, because he's been through the system there and he's, he's been a, uh, he's been in that, in that, environment for a couple of years now is that I think they would favor someone that they know and so there's more probably more like if you're if, if you get caught up in the who's the number one driver and who's the number two driver discussion then I think Piastri would quite comfortably become the number one driver in a matter of years ahead of Esteban Ocon who's currently there and is a young good driver himself but Piastri would, would be the number one whereas at McLaren a team based in Britain who have a British driver there in Lando Norris already who is seen as one of the next big things for the next generation. 
Piastri with no guarantees of him being the number one driver at McLaren and getting that favourable attention that supposedly they don't, but we all know they do, the number one driver gets at the team. Now, Lando Norris might end up going to Mercedes down the track when Lewis Hamilton retires, and this discussion might not matter in three years, but but yeah, I think Alpine is such an obvious choice for Piastri and Weber, and I am curious. I don't know why he's he's sort of almost indirectly attacking Daniel Ricciardo and his position at McLaren for Oscar Piastri. I don't I don't know what the appeal is of McLaren either. I know they're a great old team and they're a long-standing fixture in the in the competition, but they're not a they're not a Red Bull. Uh, you know, they're just uh, at the moment another midfield team. So the the dynamic is strange, and I can't wrap my head around it, Jono. It's truly bizarre, and I don't think we will until it becomes clear. And even then, I think there's secrets beyond what the public know and and uh, are given that will make this a story that we'll hear about long into the future. And I just hope, for Piastri's sake, that the Australian curse in Formula One finishes with Danny Rick and that he can get a good chance at a, a championship car. It does. It it completely jeopardises Daniel Ricciardo's position as well in 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 Formula One. Obviously, I mean he's he's been at McLaren now for whatever it is, two or three years now. He was formerly at Renault, which is now Alpine. So Alpine is the new name of the old Renault team. So it's the same entity. Um, the, the, I mean, if Daniel Ricciardo ends up getting jettisoned from from McLaren and Piastri takes his seat, well, where does Ricciardo land? Does he go back to Alpine slash Renault? Or does he go somewhere else? I mean, that that, that becomes his his Formula One career almost becomes under threat. I think a team would happily take him because they all know he's a quality driver. He's not going to be lost to Formula One in the next three or so years. But it does just make it a bit more difficult for him. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think that's really the the hard thing that he faces now. Is either way, um, there's going to be question marks, and I feel that it's a great injustice. Um, for a driver that's not familiar with the McLaren setup, um, whereas Norris is kind of a bought and bred driver, mm. that if Piastri was to go to such a unique car um, in its driving capabilities, does it limit his potential for future transfers? Um, yeah. But thanks kindly for taking my call. Thank you. Thank you for jumping on. Always happy to talk Formula One here on SEN. I appreciate your call, Jono. 1-300-736-736 is the number to dial. Just having a look at the constructor standings at the moment. So they are, yeah, they're pretty much level at the moment. Both Alpine and uh, McLaren, 99 points for Alpine. McLaren, 95 points. So negligible difference in the standings there. Um, McLaren have always promised a lot as well. So McLaren, you know, being one of the old teams in Formula One and, and having sort of promised, uh, or not promised, but sold the the story to Daniel Ricciardo that he could come to McLaren and, and would be driving for a team that would be competing for podiums. Um, you know, he's won a, won a race at McLaren a couple of years ago, I think, but, but hasn't really, you know, the car hasn't provided, the team hasn't provided the right car. Whereas Alpine, they're, they're at the same mark, but at least they've shown signs of improvement. Um, so there is, there's probably just from where they were to where they are now, you, there's a, an upward trajectory and a feel-good story about Alpine, whereas McLaren have kind of gone from being a good team a generation ago, 10 years ago, to declining to where they are and then failing to deliver on those promises as as a, as a team goes in Formula 1. So, yeah, thank you for the call once again, Jono. Uh, Kirby is with us from St Kilda to chat about a different topic. Kirby, welcome. G'day, guys. How are you? Good. Um yeah, listen, I um Collingwood AFL member supporter. I go 
every week to you know, just go in and use my membership to go to the general mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the AFL have this new thing where you get your ticket on your little pass, right? And uh, on Saturday, I was in Sydney on Saturday and uh, I could see my pass there. And then on Sunday, when I walked to the ground to, to the Swans Collingwood game, um, there was a, uh, went to check the ticket and it's like upgrade only. And I've gone, oh, okay, so I've got to go and upgrade. And you log on, you couldn't upgrade. It was like there was no email notification or nothing to say you had to upgrade to the, to the game. And I just think that's wrong. So this is on your phone, is it? Yeah, on my phone, yeah, on the app. So that that's, I mean, I can only imagine that's down to the fact that the game was a sellout maybe. So had what what time what time was this? So so on Saturday, I had the, um, I remember I was in Sydney at dinner and I showed, oh, how good is this AFL membership? And it gives you this like thing that says ticket. And then on Sunday when I'm walking to the game, it says, Upgrade only. So I go to upgrade and everything sold out. But I didn't get any. I didn't get anything from the AFL membership to say, oh, you need to to, to, to buy a ticket because it's a uh, you know a priority game. Like if you got, yeah. Right. Okay. So just the fact that you didn't get the notification then. Yeah, it didn't get a notification. Like you know, I I understand it's a sellout, Collingwood Carlton. Mm. But geez, you think you AFL member? You think you'd get a. Uh, <laughs> Notification to say, guys, uh, as a Collingwood AFL member, you need to upgrade to your ticket. I didn't get that. Yeah, didn't get an email. And then when it did, when it come through on my app, it said you've got to upgrade now, like uh, upgrade ticket only. And you go into the upgrade ticket, and they're all gone. Do you always? Then I, do you always get emails right. for your membership, or is that a setting that you have to turn on or, or turn off in your account online? No, well, you know at the start of the year, because Collingwood Essendon, it says it's a upgrade upgraded thing, so you've got to buy a ticket. That's all good. Right? Mm. And, um, and I, well, I, don't get me wrong, I know Collingwood and Carlton's going to be huge. Yeah. Um, and, and me and my mates, we, 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 uh, you know, we, we, we always get GA. We just go there, GA. Um, and, then, and then, like, you look at it, I just remember Saturday night. I was at a restaurant in Sydney. I see my ticket there with the, with my friends. How good's this app? And then you go the next day, and they're all sold out. It's just it's just uh, I I sent my, I sent emails to um, AFL, and they said, well, you know, it's one of those events. Um, um, you need to yeah upgrade. So I, I I just think it's wrong. And then and then today I sent an eBay. There's two tickets to AFL members for 560 bucks and went to 610 on eBay. All right. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> I just anyway. Yeah, so I'm sorry to hear that. My, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that, Kirby. I probably wouldn't. I don't know if I trust what I'd see on eBay with tickets. That can always be a little dicey, but um, right. But uh, no, I'm sorry to hear that, and that's probably just a. Um, yeah, it's probably a, a point of it's memberships and, and ticketing, and that it's been a discussion point from the start of the year. I remember even last year we were, we were, you know, this move to online ticketing has been a bit of an issue. So there's there might be still um, a a chink in the armor somewhere with with that system that the AFL has. So yeah, I don't I don't have a solution, but I understand your pain, Kirby. 
Yeah, and I get it, but I just want people to understand out there, like, yes. this is what's happening, like, you know. So I, I don't care about getting on the radio or whatever, but I just like that conversation, like uh, the question out there for people who are AFL members for Collingwood, um, have you struggled to get a ticket? And was your ticket, like, just gone from uh, your app? Like, it's just crazy, mm. honestly. It's not right, man. Anyway, thank you, that's Kirby. all I wanted to say. No, thank yeah, you. Mate. Public service announcement that is uh, valuable to fans out there, and maybe just a uh, a tale of uh, of caution and vigilance. Be vigilant be- ahead of uh, time if you're going to go to a game that has uh, the potential to be um, you know fully booked out. So as this Sunday's game is going to be Carlton and Collingwood, and then um, and then any other game, obviously we're at the end of the season now. But yeah, any other game as well. Thank you, Kirby. Appreciate the call. One three hundred seven three six seven three six on the Harcourt's open line. This is the Sporting Capital. Sam Duncan will be with us in about fifteen minutes to chat about uh, sport and the media and everything that happens in the public space. An, an, an analysis on all of that. But uh, we'll get to some of your text messages and a few other points around the footy world on the other side of this here on SEN. Jordan Canella sitting in for Sam Hargraves on the Sporting Capital on a Tuesday night, SEN. Good to be with you. A couple of other footy topics that we haven't even touched on yet, but they were pretty significant throughout the day. A couple of uh, different points from today. Port Adelaide's uh, forward Robbie Gray has announced his retirement. He's spent 16 seasons in the league, and he'll finish his career on 271 games, his final match to be the showdown this weekend against the Crows. He's played in 21 showdowns, so number 22 coming up. With a win-loss record so far of 12 wins and 9 losses, he scored 38 goals against the Crows as well, which is the team he scored the most goals against. He's been probably, I would say, their most or their, their classiest player in this era, um, or their their highest quality player, you'd say, rivaled only by Travis Boak, I would argue, um, and has been a crucial cog in their in their flotations with the upper ends of the ladder and and the possibility of success that they had for a couple of seasons, making preliminary finals, Robbie Gray. So um, a, a great player who, yeah, the last two or three years haven't been hasn't been as sharp as we normally are used to seeing Robbie Gray at, but still uh, such uh, has been an important player to that forward line. But he is bowing out, as is Shane Edwards, who also had a 16-year career, reached a 300-game milestone recently and will play in the finals for the Tigers. Um Underrated player, really, in the Tiger system. Like such a good player, and people know he's a good player, but just probably lost in the, in the in the the, the sheer density of football in in Melbourne and Victoria, and with the Tigers and all the high quality players they've had, but still a player of of high distinction. Uh, Shane Edwards and the career he's had has been has been immense. And then St Kilda great Lenny Hayes is set to return to the club. He played almost three hundred games for as an assistant coach, stepping in for Ben McGlynn. So. He returns home, Saint fans. This might end up being a, um, a move that could provide some heart and soul. Well, the heart and soul is coming back to the club in Lenny Hayes. So there you go. Sam Duncan up next. Jordan Canellis with you, filling in for Sam Hargraves this evening on SEN, 0433981116, if you'd want, like to send in your text messages. There's been a couple coming through later on. At 8pm, we'll have a chat to Rob Tanner, who is uh, from the Athletic UK, to talk about the Premier League and the dramatic start to the season that we've had over in England in just the space of two weeks. We've already had uh, Manchester United in the uh, last place position on the table, sitting in 20th with a, a negative, what is it, negative five, I think, goal difference or worse or something like that. Something crazy. 4-0 loss on the weekend anyway. It was their first round result. They're on the bottom nonetheless. 
and uh, or two one loss it was. So yeah, what's that? Negative five for uh, for Man U, and uh, and the little clash between little or big clash between Conte and Tuchel on the sideline at the end of the Chelsea Tottenham game. So we'll chat about that with Rob Tanner in about half an hour from now. Some of your text messages. Uh, there was a text that came in earlier about uh, someone posing the idea that James Hurd returning to Essendon is uh, more desirable for Bombers fans than Alistair Clarkson. And so I I bounced that question back out to you and uh, the texts have come through. Darcy says, 100% no from me. The attention would be shocking. Another one says, yes, bring Hurdy back to the club. Best thing to do. Big thumbs up emoji. Uh, Matt says, nope, that is a rubbish statement. Heard had his time. There is, uh, This is Essendon's problem falling onto the past. Uh, from Matt, an Essendon member. And then AG says, I'm in the minority of Essendon supporters, but best approach for us would be to let the process continue with Truck, Ben Rutten, or for another season. We are too quick to make changes without giving anyone a real go at success. The entitlement attitude of the club and supporters is delaying any possibility of real success. So that was just off the back of one text message coming through about James Hurd and the idea that Bombers fans would want him back at the club more so than Clarkson. And, uh, and the texts came in. Sam Duncan is our media analysis expert on the sporting capital for Holmes Glen. Upskill your career, learn more, do more at Holmes Glen. And Sam, it's appropriate that our, our number one talking point on tonight's uh, list of agenda items is Essendon and what's been happening with them in the last 48 hours. Welcome to the show. G'day, Jordan. Good to be with you. So what have you made of the last 48 hours with the Bombers? Because it's been a bit of a circus, but uh, underneath it all, or maybe really sitting on top of the the entire pile is the fact that Ben Rutten is still their coach for what it's worth. Yeah, it's been really interesting watching it play out in the media as well. I mean, the scuttlebug first started when word got around that they were going to change uh, presidents and then there was a sort of a domino impact from there. But everything moved quite quickly yesterday morning with a board meeting with a new president, but also in certain sections of the media reports that Ben Rutten had been removed as the coach and wouldn't be coaching this week and that uh, G and Syracuse would take the, uh, take, take the reins. Uh, and so as a result of that, that elevated the story even more. But since then, not a great deal has happened. And yet, as is often the way in the you know, AFL media, it has caused and created an enormous amount of discussion. But if we look at what we know factually, it isn't a great deal. It is that they have got themselves a new president. And everything that we are talking about in and around that um, has still yet to be confirmed. And so many people are critical of the media for speculating, but you've got to remember that that's their job in many respects. It is to probe. It is to ask questions. It is to critically analyse. It is to hypothesise about what could happen. And in the absence of Essendon communicating that this is what we're going to do next, of course others are going to fill that narrative gap. The Essendon Football Club know people are talking about them. They know people are speculating about um, them approaching Alistair Clarkson and their current coach. And they know that they could speak. They're choosing not to, which means at this stage, the speculation and the chatter is going to continue. So, by yeah, okay. But by not speaking, I understand that the speculation will continue because nothing solid has come from the club. There's a few different tangents you can go down from here. So, firstly, does that... 
Is that why? Why would they employ that strategy then, Essendon, by choosing not to speak, knowing that it's just going to create more uh, speculation and that just drives a, a you know a wilder flame? What are they getting out of it, the Bombers, by not talking about it? Well, I mean that's a really good question because in issues management, clear communications is key. You generally don't communicate when you don't have anything clear to communicate. And that is they might not know yet what they are going to do. They are keeping their powder dry. Or they may not want the public to know the route they're going down in case it doesn't work and they have to come up with a plan B. Uh, And so for them, people speculating about what they might do in in their eyes might be better than people knowing and then them having to go back um, with their tail between their legs. But it is quite bizarre. I mean, they have a coach... And they're approaching, um, or it's reported that they're approaching another coach with the current coach seemingly oblivious. Um, And so they also have to be very conscious about their stakeholders, their fans and their sponsors and their partners who are watching this and looking to see how they handle it. So um, generally, you know, in terms of your question, clear communications is generally best. You generally don't communicate when you're unsure what to communicate, and that is that you're unsure of your action. The other tangent on this is, uh, so how control, and this has been a, a, an ongoing and more modern string of, of media and communications, is that the club wants to communicate uh, most of their messages. There's not much left for the journos these days. The actual hard-hitting big scoops that journos get and can go public with and confirm are becoming less and less. Um, what does does this mean that we are sort of officially now in an era where the the really big messages uh, that come from clubs, not just like little side stories, but the really big stories that come from clubs, we can only ever now assume that they are confirmed and are true when the club actually runs with it in their media arm of their of their club department or is there still space for someone like you know for example sam edmund here at sen to say uh, and go with the story and confirm it and then people can take that on its word well that's an excellent point that's an excellent question because um increasingly you are right news is broken by the clubs through their own channels through to their fans directly. That's when we know it's confirmed and that's when we consider it authentic and that's when we ourselves verify the information. Um, There is still scope for journalists to break news. There's no doubt about that. They need to back in their sources and go with it when they think the time is right. But in the consumers' minds and in their eyes, even if a journalist was to break a story, the, the, the fan, the consumer, would still be waiting for the comment from the club, the official comms coming from the club, the press conference, the video, the statement that lands on the website and is disseminated through the um, social media channels which has changed the role of the media big time. I mean, we often talk about the relationship between clubs and the the media being at an all-time low. Journalists would say that's because you don't let us in. You don't tell us anything. We have to snoop around because the relationships are, are not there.
easier if we established relationships. If things were more open, we'd have a better relationship um, and everyone would be more transparent. But but you are quite right. We will probably know what's going on when Essendon announce it themselves, and that's when we'll believe it. There's a text that's come in from Willow from Murrumbina who says, uh, good evening, are you serious? You are blind. Uh, you are blaming Essendon for not communicating on pure media speculation. The media have not been advised by anyone uh, from the club on a change of coach. The journos are making stuff up. No accountability. Cheers, says Willow. I'll, I'll, I'll say to you, Willow, and, and I'll let you comment, Sam, as well, that clubs can comment and, and communicate on speculation. Melbourne did that very thing at the start of the season when people were talking about Simon Goodwin and him potentially leaving the club or, or whatever the rift was uh, of him possibly leaving the club a year ago. Um, when you know there was some sort of speculation that he'd had a rift with the players, and and Melbourne came out and released an official statement, basically denying any of that, and Simon Goodwin even came out and communicated that as well. So the clubs can still strategize a communications plan around speculation too. Sam, you're 100 percent correct. I think you're living in fantasy land if you think that in today's day and age, with saturated media coverage, staying silent. Um, is is par for the course. I mean, Essendon would have seen the images of their coach walking into training before sunrise, being doorstopped and walking back out. They would have seen their coach under the pump getting asked questions about whether they still have a job, whether there's clarity on what's happening this week and whether they expect to speak next week. In the interests of their coach, they could clarify the situation if they had good news for the coach. Um, so the media will speculate. I'm sorry, that's their job, to probe, to investigate, to ask questions, to question what's going on. If we just let these organisations communicate their own uh, messages unfettered and go without challenging them, what we're letting them do is just run a public relations campaign without a public interest you know, probe. That's what the media are there to do. Uh, and so that will continue, and so it should. And I think there should be media and comms strategies around how to best handle that um, and and as a priority how to look after your people it's not a good look when their coach is getting asked these questions and seems oblivious to what is going on um, at board level have you seen a a moment like this where we've had such a split or you know particularly yesterday where we had such a split between various different media outlets reporting uh, different things. So, you know, at, at times with other stories, we've had rumours and, you know, journalists and, and publications going with, you know, we believe this to be the case, even though they might not confirm it fully. But yesterday we had such, I don't feel like I've ever seen really two extreme sides where we've had a handful of journos and, and, and publishers going with, this is absolute fact, Ben Rutten has been removed as coach, and then other publications saying, you know, only Essendon have had a meeting and Ben Rutten for now is still the coach. I've never seen such a vast split at the two opposite ends. That was really interesting. And you're probably right off the top of my head. I can't think of one. I mean, being right matters the most. Being right matters the most. And so every journalist is going to have to weigh up the credibility of their sources and the information they have before they go public. There is a race to be first, I get that. But being first counts for nothing unless you are also right. 
You know, what was interesting was Neil Mitchell actually, you know, uh, said on his program that he believes that Ben Rutten has been replaced and, and will not coach this um, week. Um, what's interesting about that is he's not a, a sports journalist. Mm. I'm not questioning for his, you know, credentials as a journalist, um, but he doesn't specialise and spend his time um, on the phones talking to AFL people. And following that, the large majority of footy journos, if you like, they, you know, kept their powder dry, so to speak. I was listening to SEN and Sam Edmund was on there saying, look, this has been reported by Neil Mitchell, uh, but I can't verify it. Uh, and then we, when we did see other reports, the report, the Channel 7 tweet, for example, said um, words to the effect of, as per Neil Mitchell, Ben Rutten has been replaced. Mm. The thing is, what we have these days, Jordan, is social media. Uh, and people read different things at different times and scroll through and see things and not see narratives can go off in all sorts of directions on social media and in life um, without the consumer actually realising that it isn't fact. So that adds another layer and dimension to, to momentum, if you like, behind a storyline that can be very hard to rein in. Paul off the text says, journalism is not speculation. It should be facts. Report on facts, not what you believe. Yes, you probe and investigate, but journalism is not speculation. Uh, Sam, is this is this a where we need uh, a clarification maybe on what is journalism and what is reporting, or is there a difference between journalism and reporting, or do they just fall under the same category? Well, I think it's a good point. You know, journalists should deal with facts. There's no doubt about that, but they also shouldn't be waiting for the facts to be given to them on a platter. They are going to probe. They are going to investigate. Uh, they are going to weigh up the quality of their sources and they are going to report on them. If they simply sit back and wait for the Essendon Football Club um, to tell them what's happening, uh, then we'll be basically letting a football club run their own race, which is which which in many respects is okay, unless, of course, we think that they're trying to pull the wool over our eyes and mistreat in doing that their stakeholders. I mean, journalists are there to hold people to account. Uh, and ethics in journalism is extremely important. There's no doubt about that. Um, and so they shouldn't just be making stuff up. But speculating is also hypothesising about what could happen. I mean, that plays out in the media every single day on sports talk radio, on talkback radio, that isn't a new phenomenon. Now, perhaps the, the bar has got lower with journalists saying this might happen and that might happen. Yep. You can take that for what it's worth, really. I think, you know, we need to be quite savvy as a consumer to figure out what's really going on and who's got the right information and who hasn't. But, you know, the best journalists, Jordan, they get it right. I mean, if you follow Caroline Wilson over the years, she's upset a lot of people. She's had people say she's making it up, that she hasn't mentioned her sources, that it's all, you know, based on speculation. And guess, guess what? More often than not, when the story runs its race, she's right. Mm. Uh, so it matters. Being right matters. But if we just think that we're only going to get dished the facts in today's day and age, I just don't think that's the way the media operates. Let's talk about Sunday footy because uh, the Magpies and the Swans had a huge game on Sunday uh, two days ago with a sold-out crowd and 
a, a big um, TV viewer number which came in this morning, which was very interesting to see and might be replicated this upcoming weekend, if not bettered uh, in their Collingwood-Carlton game. But the 3.20 Sunday game has been pretty prosperous all season long. I think Channel 7 would be happy with that time slot and what it's provided. So what's the, the overall analytics show for Sunday games and how well it's been this season, uh, Sam? Yeah, it's been going fantastically. I mean, look, the, the weekend, admittedly, great contest. Two teams, you know, high up on the ladder with a lot to play for. 866,000 people tuned in. I mean, they're Friday night figures. Sunday afternoon, 3.20. It just goes to show the importance of the AFL's, you know, equalisation strategies, that we get to this stage of the year and we look at the fixture and there are so many good games to watch that are going to generate these types of ratings that are going to help them sell their product. And I mean, Jordan... Just to take it a step further and to to go back to Essendon for a second, this is why success and a successful product matters. Sydney and Collingwood are playing on Channel 7 on Sunday afternoon, attracting 866,000 viewers. Um, You know, Collingwood and Melbourne, the Friday night uh, before, attracted 1.2 million viewers. Essendon played at 4.40 on Sunday against Port Adelaide for the third time in that time slot across six weeks and had around 170,000 people watching. Um, You've got to have a strong product if you want to be seen and to be accessible and to grow your product and brand. But the AFL would be wrapped with Sunday afternoon football, so much so I don't think a Sunday afternoon final would be out of the question. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's. I think I'd hope it does. Actually, I like the Sunday time slot. It's been. Um, it's provided great games this season. And the last one, the last point I'll want to bring up here is uh, Tassie plus one. So Andrew Dimitri had some good comments, and I'm I'm curious about what the flow on would be of having a 19th team in the AFL, but also having a 20th team in the AFL, and what that means for TV rights and deals and negotiations. What would it mean, Sam? Well, one wonders whether this has been discussed as part of the current package. I mean, if this current package is going to be a six-year deal, for example, will we have a Tasmanian team before the end of the six years? Has that been accounted for in the discussions? Do they want a 19th and 20th team to come in at the same time or within a year of each other to ensure we have an additional game? That additional game will therefore add value because for the broadcasters who bankroll the game, a 19th licence doesn't really add much. There's still going to be nine games a weekend and then one team's going to have five. Mm. They'd much rather have an extra game a weekend, but to do that, they need the 20th licence. And then if you've got a 20-team competition, I mean, what are the machinations and flow-on effects from that? I mean, are we getting to a point at 20 games where everyone plays each other once? Then there might be the wild card weekend and then your finals. Um, or are we going to have a conference system where we have two conferences of 10 and you can really build in your, you know, your big blockbusters and rivalries that actually amplify the product and attract more people to television screens? But that can become quite complex in terms of who plays who and who's travelling where. Um, but it does open up a lot of different possibilities for the game. I mean, um, but... As Andrew Demetrio said, from a revenues perspective, from a television and, and streaming rights perspective, it's not just the 19th licence that matters. It's the extra game, which then brings in the 20th licence. Yep, yep. Sam, good session. That was a good chat. Thank you so much. 
Enjoy it at Jordan. Chat again next week. Dr. Sam Duncan, the course leader for Sports Degrees at Holmes Glen. And you can study sports, business, health, or building and construction. Apply now. Learn more. Do more at Holmes Glen. We'll take our final break of this hour. And we'll wrap up things uh, in this portion of the show. We'll talk a bit of Premier League after uh, 8pm as well with Rob Tanner from The Athletic UK. Uh, All that and more coming up in the next hour here on The Sporting Capital. The Sporting Capital here on SEN. Jordan Canellis with you. We'll have Rob Tanner up shortly to talk Premier League. The first two weeks of the EPL season has been remarkable. It's been quite the entertainment package over in England. So we'll uh, dissect what's been happening in the first fortnight of the league there. There's been adverse results for all the big teams, well, some of the big teams anyway. Manchester United, 0-0-2. Uh, uh, They've had two losses to start the season, including a 4-0 loss on the weekend. Man City had a 4-0 win on the weekend. Arsenal's been playing well. Liverpool were held to a draw. And then Chelsea and Tottenham dissect that game for us. Rob, we'll get him up on the line shortly. Um, Steve said Neil Mitchell wouldn't have gone with it uh, without substantial facts, he'll be proven correct, just uh, but just a little later than he thought. And a couple of other text messages coming uh, through as well, which I'll get to uh, on the other side of the uh, of the break. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. If you have any thoughts on that, and also send through uh, who your Premier League team is, and if you want us to ask a question to Rob um, about your side, if you're a uh, if you're a supporter of a big team, maybe you're a Gunners fan like I am, welcome in. Uh, to the brethren, uh, unabashed Arsenal supporter I am here, but any any other team, happy to pose a question to Rob. Premier League chat up next on SEM. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Jordan Canellis with you, filling in for Sam Hargraves on the Sporting Capital tonight on SEN. 0433981116 if you have any questions to send through off the text. We're two weeks into this new Premier League season, an early start, so you might be caught out for thinking, oh, the Premier League started already, even though it's at the middle of August. It is because the World Cup is on later this year, which will be, which we will be broadcasting here on SEN, so looking forward to that, uh, but just allowing time for the uh, mid-season hiatus uh, later on in the season come November, December for the World Cup. But two weeks, the first two weeks of the season, and we've already had so much drama. Another Spurs corner. Plenty of air underneath it. Oh, Tutu, right at the end of the game. Harry Kane takes the applause and the plaudits. An angry handshake, which speaks volumes about the way the game has been played. Antonio Conte and Thomas Tuchel squaring up again. What a pass. It's in towards Mbomo. It is four. A brilliant counter-attacking goal. Manchester United are being destroyed. The ball into the middle, the Nunez ball isn't on now, so they're taking the low road. Oh, and that's the way to do it. Lewis Dijak comes up with an absolute parlour. 
Just some of the highlights from the second week of the Premier League season as heard uh, through the World Feed broadcasts. Rob Tanner is from The Athletic UK. He covers the Premier League for The Athletic and is with us here on SEN this Tuesday night. Rob, uh, good morning to you over there in England. How's things? Uh, yeah, good, mate. The uh, the season started and it's uh, started off, uh, hopefully, setting a tone for the rest of the campaign. It's going to be a lot of drama. Absolutely. It's been fantastic drama already. Uh, we're, we're all bleary-eyed on a, on a Saturday, Sunday, Monday morning over here watching it, but it was, it was well worth staying up in the middle of the night to watch Chelsea and Tottenham uh, a few days ago because that was a great contest, but also had all of the uh, all of the trimmings on the outside to be a great spectacle overall. A two-all draw with a late equaliser from Harry Kane, but it was what happened immediately on the full-time whistle between Antonio Conte from Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel. Uh, pardon me, Antonio Conte from Tottenham, old habits die hard, and Thomas Tuchel from Chelsea with their bust-up. Um, it was pretty testy all game, but what what was the moment that set those two managers off? Well, I just think they're, they're two fiery characters. I mean, there's history between those two clubs. The Battle of the Bridge, the famous one from the 15-16 season, uh, when Chelsea denied Tottenham the opportunity to close on Leicester City for the title. I mean, and, and that has still carried on to this day, those two clubs. They're bitter rivals in London. Uh, and it just boiled over. I mean, they're two very passionate managers. They're very animated in the technical area, especially Conte. He's almost like a cartoon character sometimes, about the way he's bouncing around. And I think it was just the way they were celebrating goals as they were going in, rubbing it in, in each other's faces. And, and that, that just spilled over, boiled over at the end. I know Tuchel tried to play it all down afterwards, but I think the FA will obviously have their investigating and uh, they'll be charged for that. They've already got um, a game ban as well for the red card from the referee. So... But I think what spilled over after that was into the press conferences where Tuchel was then criticising the referee and even accusing him of historically having a bias against Chelsea. And that will bring a further FA charge. So uh, he's in deep water with Tuchel. But his side looked very good. Yeah, they they were. Should they have won that game? Because watching that, they dominated dominated the the match, the uh, possession, just the attacking chances as well. Um, yeah, how how disappointing would it be for him that his side ended up ended up losing that, or didn't lose, but they they conceded the win? Well, it would have been very frustrating, especially in the manner as well. There was a lot of, there was controversial decisions made by the referee that, um, that that ultimately cost Chelsea. They didn't close out the three points; they only got a point. But I think he'd still be heartened by the way his side performed, and with two weeks to go of the transfer window, Chelsea are still looking to do big business as well. So they they could be even stronger the time of going to September. Would they be looking for a striker to bring in? Because they brought in Raheem Sterling, who is um, has been one of their, their main signings for the season, but hasn't often been the central man in a front three, normally plays off uh, a bigger striker. Are Chelsea lacking a powerful striker in this team? Yeah, they are in the market for a striker and a centre-back. I mean, they're sniffing around um, Leicester City's Wesley Fofana. Um, and, and Leicester City's Jamie Vardy is also on the radar of Chelsea and Man United as well because they need a striker. Even though he's 35, they still think he can come in and do a job for them short term, although he's in negotiations over a new contract at Leicester as well. So be interesting what happens in the final couple of weeks. What about your analysis from Tottenham from, from that game there? So they, they came back twice from a goal down and rescued a point at the very end, um, but they were pinned up in their own half for most of that game from Chelsea's uh, their high and wide strategy and getting up the pitch. At Tottenham, are they are they a bit sort of all all attack, no defence at the moment? Spurs. Well, yes, yes and no. But I'm not surprised they came back into that game because the the pre season has been very intense for them. Um, 
you took them away to, to, to Korea and um, some of the work they were doing out there, you, you know, we, we, we saw scenes of Harry Kane being sick on the side of the pitch after a training session because it was that intense. But strong running and fitness is absolutely key to how Conte wants his side to play. So they will be strong at the end of the game. But I still think there's some organisational aspects of their game that, that, that need uh, addressing. I mean, they come up against a strong Chelsea side, but any side, though, that's got Son and Kane in will have uh, a bit of firepower at the other end. And, and if, it's, uh, if it's a case of um, you know, scoring more than you concede because defensively you're not as strong as you might want to be, then so be it. It'd be entertaining to watch that. Manchester United find themselves on the bottom of the Premier League table after two games. They lost to Brighton in the first week and then a 4-0 loss to Brentford uh, on the weekend just gone with all of Brentford's goals coming in the first 35 minutes of the game, which was remarkable. How have Manchester United, with the new manager, Eric Ten Hag, how have they found themselves in this position so quickly? Well, this isn't just about the first two games of the season. This has been going on for a number of years now and the, the Man United fans have... I've had enough. Um, the Sports Trust want answers from the Glaziers, even though the Glaziers have spent over a billion pounds in, on investment in the playing staff. There just doesn't seem to be any organisational structure at the club. There doesn't seem to be any blueprint, any strategy for recruitment, um, you know, how the club should be run. There's no philosophy. There's no guidance. It, it is a rudderless ship at the moment, Man United. And although it's only two games in, and it's very, very early to talk about crises and and, and, and that sort of um, language it, it is still very, very worrying for the United fans that they can see evidence that the rot has started. And uh, how do you stop the rot? It's, they think that by changing the ownership would be trying to force a change of ownership. But the Glazers won't sell the club. So, you know, they, they're going to have to be patient. I can imagine there'll be a few more... Um, protest at Old Trafford and we've seen a number of those over the last few years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric Ten Hag's comments recently I thought was a bit puzzling because he was calling for uh, more signings are needed at the club and, and you look at that squad that they have and uh, it might not be the best in the Premier League but when you've got Cristiano Ronaldo who's there and who knows what his immediate future is like but then even just the other players in the mm. squad it's not it's not a dour squad by any means it's a it's a good team that that should be doing well so yeah they've they've tried multiple different avenues haven't they Rob but but is it, it might not after all that be within the actual sporting department of the club well I think that, that when I talk about strategy I mean, as I said they've spent over a billion pounds on, on signings but some of those signings, you look at them and you think, well, why have they got him in? Why have they paid? I mean, £80 million pounds they, they paid for Harry Maguire. Now, he's a good defender, I think, and he's done a decent job at, 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 um, at, for England. But at that top, top level, should, is he eight, worth £80 million? Pounds? That's, I think that's what um, the United fans are questioning. They're not questioning the investment from the Glazers in terms of um, putting the money into the club, even though they're saddling the club with a huge debt on the back of that. Um, I think what the question is, is this, what's the strategy? What's the philosophy? Who, who is making these decisions? So there's a lot to unravel and, and unpick at, uh, at Man United. And then how do you wrap that up into Cristiano Ronaldo, who's been unsettled there for the, the duration of the off-season? He's... Uh, his name's been thrown around as being uh, one of the, the players who might be offloaded or he's wanted to go to, to Chelsea, as an example, who have been in the market for him. Um, what is the, the latest with Cristiano Ronaldo? What's his future look like and, and what would be best for Manchester United? Well, initially, well, it's quite clear that he wants to leave um, Old Trafford. Uh, United initially wanted to keep him, but we understand the last 48 hours they've basically decided, yeah, it's probably best if he moves on. He might be a little bit of a disruption as well behind the scenes if he's unhappy. 
So if they can just try and move him on, if, if there's a taker that's willing to pay the money for him in terms of his wages, then uh, that might be the best solution for United so they can move on again. But then they've got to replace him and there's only two weeks left of the window, so it's not going to be easy. Are they still looking for Frankie de Jong from Barcelona or have they pulled out from that race? Well, it looks like he might be going elsewhere. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think they, they, they hoped that he would be coming. Uh, but uh, it doesn't look like it at the moment. It's been pretty smooth for Manchester City and Arsenal, who both sit uh, equal first on the table, separated by goal difference. Man City and Arsenal, the only two sides to have won both their opening games of the new season. For Arsenal, it's been a promising start. Uh, Gabriel Jesus, the new signing, got a double on the weekend. And, uh, and some of that young brigade who came through and, and really broke through last season have impressed early on. What can Arsenal fans expect this season from the Gunners? Should they have high expectations or should it be somewhat modest but still expecting better than, than the previous couple of years? No, I think they will be yeah, full of hope for this season. I was at the game on at the weekend at the Emirates Stadium and I was very impressed with Arsenal. Um, they're rejuvenated. Um, they've spent a lot of money bringing in some good signings like Gabriel Jesus, and he obviously he looks excellent against Leicester. And the way I, I mean, what I was impressed with him is he's only a small fella, but the way he rolled defenders, he was physically strong, and he was a focal point for their attack. And Arteta's got them uh, really going in the right direction now, and it's been a tricky time for him initially at Arsenal. But he's got the fans on board again. There was a good atmosphere in the stadium, and even when Saliba scored an own goal, that the. Rest- home crowd and usually when you go to Arsenal and they have a setback you can feel the disappointment in the crowd and that can affect the players but it was different it was a positive charge after that from the supporters and they got behind Saliba they got behind the team and they went on they should have won even more comfortably than they did so I think Arsenal are the real deal whether they are ready now to challenge for the top two three really push Manchester City and Liverpool uh, we'll see you know, time will tell uh, whether they've got the strength in depth when the injuries start to come and the World Cup comes along a lot of players you know, coming back from that fatigued whether they've got that strength in depth but it's looking good for them Yeah that might be the one thing with Arsenal is they are still a young squad and aren't maybe conditioned as a team and as a group of young players to to deal with uh, with Europe which I'll have this season in the in the Europa League and um, and yeah, is is the depth there at Arsenal to go through a full season where they want to be competing now for for deep runs in in cups and tournaments and make a run for the top four and playing in Europe? Do they have that depth, Arsenal? Uh, yeah, um, this, this is always the big the big question mark. If you look at Man City's squad, it's so much strength in depth. You take two or three players out, and you've got two or three more coming in with great quality. And you can rotate, you can bring and switch uh, a Foden for a Greenish. And, you know, and you've, that, that strength and depth is there. Liverpool, by contract, if you look at their performance last night, I thought, you know, they're missing a number of players already because they've got a number of injuries. They could have done without the lad getting sent off now because he's got um, a three-game ban as well, so he'll be missing. So yeah, you're looking at their squad and you're thinking, perhaps they should do a little bit more business before the end of the, the transfer window just to make sure they've got that strength and depth because there will be some times in this compressed season because of the World Cup where you're getting games back-to-back and you know it's hard for the players to keep playing at the intensity some of these sides play at. And Nottingham Forest had a 1-0 win on the weekend against West Ham, which was significant for them. Back in the top flight for the first time in 23 years, had their first home game this season, first goal scored this season. How significant is that for such a historic club like Nottingham Forest? It's always great to get off to a good start and get that that first win uh, and, and get on the board, really. I mean, there's obviously any side that comes up into the Premier League, it's going to be tough. 
um, you might get that initial bounce. Um, it's all new. You're unknown quantity to the to the opposition. Uh, the fans are, and everybody are feeling very positive. They're really up for it after waiting so long. You've got to feed off that at the start of the season and ride that wave a little bit. And I think Forrest did that. It was a great atmosphere to sit the ground. Um, and uh, they've brought in so many players. The big question mark for me is, I think it's 15 or 16 new signings. Mm. You know, they've totally changed the side that, that got promotion. It's a big gamble because it takes time sometimes for these players to gel uh, and, and to get to know each other and, and to get to know the, the manager's system and how he wants them to perform. But they've got an excellent uh, manager in Cooper, and I, I think they'll that they will they will push uh, to stay in that division. It'll be tough for them as it is for all of the sides coming up, but um, no, they've got a chance if they can keep that spirit. Rob, before I let you go, where do you think the differences will lie this season? If there's uh, a couple of teams to keep an eye on, teams who might make a push into the top ten, or maybe for one of those uh, those lower place European spots, and teams who might be on the slide this season, where are the the points of difference for you this season in the Prem? Well, I think what, what sort of business Chelsea do over the last couple of weeks could dictate whether they can push for the title this season. I mean, this is a side that's been growing uh, for a year or so. They've gone through a lot of trauma with the ownership change and everything that went on around that. Um, but now, if they can get a centre forward in, I mean, look at Man City with Haaland. I mean, they've been playing without a number nine for, for a number of seasons. And you can tell because now they've got a proper number nine and he's one of the best in the world. Mm. and they don't know how to play with a number nine anymore. So they're having to adapt as well and, and understand that you know, you've know you got a centre-forward who will be in the right position, whereas before they always played with a false nine and rotating in those, those roles. If they click with Haaland, Man City could be unstoppable. Rob, it's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll have to have a chat to you again throughout the course of the season. Thank you very much. Rob Tanner from The Athletic UK, based uh, himself in Leicester. And uh, you can go and check out some of his work at The Athletic and also his work having covered uh, Leicester's uh, remarkable title uh, back in 2015-16. Rob Tanner from The Athletic UK here on the Sporting Capital this uh, Tuesday night on SEN. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side of this and we'll get to um, hear from a couple of the players who announced their retirements earlier today, Robbie Gray and Shane Edwards. That's next here on SEN. Welcome back to the Sporting Capital. Jordan Canellis with you here on SEN. A couple of uh, different opinions and voices from around the footy world to get stuck into uh, here on the Sporting Capital. We'll hear from Robbie Gray and Shane Edwards to announce their retirements earlier today as well. But just some bits and pieces from around the uh, the footy globe or the AFL landscape uh, from uh, Ben Rutten. The uh, discussion today that we had earlier uh, on not only our program, but over the course of the day on SEN and last night as well. Uh, here's what's been said on this scenario. Starting off with the team on footy classified last night on this uh, Ben Rutten case. David Barham wants Alistair Clarkson. Ben Rutten seems only hours away from finishing up as coach of the Essendon Football Club. Ben had a good response over the last seven or eight weeks, which I thought was going to save him. But what we've seen the last two weeks against the Giants and Port Adelaide, I think yesterday was the final straw. In my opinion, yes, I'd move on from Ben. I'm not sure I've seen vision of a player treat a coach like this. He doesn't want to sit next to Ben Rutten. Ben Rutten says, now sit here. But look, he's trying to give him some feedback, some positive reinforcement and the disengagement of Nick Hine on the interchange bench here. He can't even look at him. So the players have clearly checked out and their on-field actions are displaying that. It's devastating for Ben Rutten. It's been an incredible season for him, but I still find it extraordinary it's taken this long for Essendon 
to have a crack at Alistair Clarkson, and uh, only he can really save them now from a massive, yeah. massive embarrassment. And, and, and also no process to sign Ben Rutten at the start of it all, which yeah. is on the, on the footy club. So that was the team on footy classified last night. That last point that Caro made about it taking Essendon this long to go for Clarkson, it kind of resonates with me. On the other hand, though, it's also a little bit... Um, that that might have been a bit too unfair on, on Ben Rutten at a time when... So if you rewind a couple of weeks, Essendon were in a patch of uh, they, you know minor rejuvenation, let's say. They, you know, they've had an ordinary season. They can't sugarcoat that. But they were at that time of you know three or four weeks ago, they were in the midst of winning sort of four games in the space of six matches. And it was... It was a good time, and you know Ben Rutten and the team looked like they'd turned a corner. So, in that period of time, to go back and then consider, oh, let's let's have a crack at Alastair Clarkson would have seen extremely unkind on on Ben Rutten for the good that he was doing. At least in that just short period of time, nonetheless, they'd still lost a string of games before that, heading into that good run of form. Um, but yeah, but yeah, so you kind of stuck between a a rock and a hard place of like, okay, well. If the Bombers were serious about trying to go for Clarkson, then, yeah, they should have done it earlier, but then it would have you know, been a bit of a blind side on Ben Rutten at that time. It might still be considered that way now, nonetheless, but, yeah, it's it's a bit of a tricky one. Uh, Tim Watson on SEM Breakfast this morning in Melbourne. If he doesn't, then... So, have the stakes been any higher than this? I don't know in my time of barricade. I don't of, think so. Of, of following, not barricade, following footy, I can't imagine them being higher. And my fear in all this is, and I said this early in the program, and that is that it's not generated and it's not governed by emotion and there's some strategy and some thinking and planning behind all this. Because if it's not, if it's all just we go for Clarkson and that doesn't work, what happens after that? That's my What's point. the fallout of that? That's my point. And that is something I've thought about as well, and that was very well raised by Tim Watson on breakfast this morning, is, okay, so if Essendon are falling over themselves now to make this desperate late bid for Alastair Clarkson, uh, you know, not even a week after the scuttlebutt around him going to North Melbourne was getting pretty strong, um, they're going all in on one guy. So what happens afterwards? I mean, yes, I know Ben Rutten is still there, but behind the scenes, this is what, I'm sure they would be doing, or what I can only imagine they would be doing, is going and trying to go all in on Alastair Clarkson. So if that falls to pieces and they've burnt a bridge with Ben Rutten, because by that point, if if you're going all in on Alastair Clarkson, even if Ben Rutten hasn't officially been removed yet as coach, you've basically made his position at the club untenable. So what happens afterwards? You're effectively, if if Alastair Clarkson goes to North Melbourne, you're effectively having to settle for the second best now, which is whoever that might be. So it's going to be whether they, you know, whether they, if they miss out on Clarkson, either way, it's going to be pretty. Um, I think it's almost a it's almost a win lose lose situation, isn't it? If you you win if you get Clarkson, but then there's two other paths you can go down, uh, which you know sixty six percent of this outcome leans towards a lose lose. So you either keep Ben Rutten, which Bombers and Bombers fans might see as a lose situation, depending on where you stand with Ben Rutten or it's a lose situation on whoever the other coach is, because even if the other coach is good, it's not Alastair Clarkson. So you've only got a a small window to actually get a win here, Bombers, which is why this whole scenario is pretty precarious. Brett Ratton, the St Kilda coach, on Ben Rutten, the Essendon coach. These were his thoughts, Brett Ratton, on AFL 360 last night about being a coach in this place. 
I do feel for him because it's it's not a great spot to be in, and having lived through it myself, um, yeah, it's tough. When you when you, you lived through it at Carlton, yep. You say it affects your family. How does it affect you? When it finally came through, it was sort of, you know, the the challenge of about being a leader at a football club is to keep leading and be strong. Um, even know that the outside pressure is coming. Um, that was something that I said to myself and wanted to fulfil, even though I was under the pressure. The big part that I felt was when the decision was made, I thought I let down a lot of people, um, my family, uh, the assistant coaches that might not be there, people that had worked closely with me that didn't have maybe a job coming up and were then terminated. That's what I felt. I felt I let a lot of people down. Um, I think it took me 12 months to get my confidence back. I lost some confidence from the, you know, being exited yeah. from the job, and I was very fortunate to be around good people who supported me. And then I went over to, you know, did some um, study, and I got some real confidence from that, um, which was great. So, yeah, I was p- pretty fortunate. Brett Ratton, fascinating insights into the time that he was the coach at Carlton, and then Kane Corns on uh, SENSA Breakfast uh, this morning about. Uh, Clarkson going to Essendon and what uh, things uh, or how things might open up for a possible uh, gateway for Ken Hinckley to North Melbourne. You be Ken Hinckley. I'll put you in Ken Hinckley's position. He's got one year, absolutely. You'll be you'll be coach of Port Adelaide next year, but he's going to walk into the round one next season with uh, I don't know if it's a small or medium or large portion of the Port Adelaide fans against him. So they they almost want to see. Ken Hinckley fail, and we've discussed that before. Some of them do anyway, and the vocal, whether it's minority or or not, I'm not sure. So you've got all of that and the angst from the supporter group against him and the prospect that if he started, say it's it's round eight, and Port Adelaide, you know, two and six or three and five, whatever it is, the prospect that he could lose his job early on next year is a reality, I think, if things didn't go well like they didn't at GWS for Leon Cameron this year or Nathan Buckley the previous year. It's, it's a very real prospect that if things got off to a bad start, he could lose his job. So you've got that security of about six months, really, don't you, if you can't yeah. Or you've got a club like North Melbourne who have missed on their guy, Alistair Clarks, and they can't go with an untried coach. I've spoken about what a perfect fit Ken Hinckley would be at North Melbourne because of his ability to rebuild and set really high standards and galvanise a group and his good honesty and and, and performance. It'd be perfect for a young group. He prioritises playing the youth and giving them the opportunities as we've seen at Port Adelaide. They come and say, well, Ken, you've got one year at Port Adelaide or you can have four or five with us and we'll give you the time and patience that you need to rebuild this group. It's not even a decision for him to make. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'm thinking... What do North Melbourne do if they miss out on Clarkson and where do they go to next? So there you go, Kane Corns and his thoughts on uh, the possible, uh, well, the possibilities of where these coaches land next year. We'll take a break here on the Sporting Capital on a Tuesday night. You can send us a text 0433 98 11 16. We'll come back after this. We'll hear from the retirees from today, Robbie Gray from Port Adelaide and Shane Edwards of Richmond calling it a day after 16 years each in the league. Robbie Gray obviously will have his career finished this weekend. Shane Edwards will play in the finals, though, with the Tigers. That's on the way next on SEN. Oh, passionate Bombers fans off the text. 0433981116. David says, if Essendon treats Clarkson the same as Rutten, Clarkson will be sacked next year. Don't know if that's the case, David. Maybe getting ahead of yourself there. Lee says the Bombers, uh, if the Bombers fail on Clarkson, they must bring Dimmer home. 
that might not be for a couple more years. So I don't think Clarkson's going to be a one and done at uh, at Essendon. That'll be um that'll be I don't know what, what what would be the minimum amount of years if Clarkson was to go to Essendon or North Melbourne. North Melbourne might be a slightly different situation. They'd probably be willing to hang on to him for a lot longer, I would think. But Essendon, what would be the minimum number of years do you think that they'd hold on to Clarkson for? I think at least he's going to be at he, regardless of um result i think maybe i'm maybe i'm maybe i'm completely off the mark maybe i don't know Essendon well enough but i would say at least 4 years i'd say at least he's going to be there at least 4 years i'm almost confident enough to say 5 even if each year is a failure of a year i still think they would give him that much time to because he's got the track record he's not an unknown quantity like ben rutten was when he was coming in, because he hadn't coached a team before, Alistair Clarkson's the the best of the modern era and one of the best there's ever been overall in in the VFL AFL. So I think they give him at least four, comfortably I'd say four, and then pushing it to five seasons, and then they might reconsider. But that's you know, five. That's a long time. It doesn't seem like a big number five, but that's a long time. That's uh, you know, that's you're taking a player from being a 19 year old first season player to to being a sort of entering their prime age of 24 years old and dominating the league or beginning to dominate the league or you know beginning to get into that, into that elite category think of someone like Andy Brayshaw right now and, and how old he is and where he's getting he's what 22 I think Andy Brayshaw yeah turning 23 at the end of the year so you think of it like that that's a that's a generation of draftees that Clarko would take from his first season into being sort of prime moving elite players. That's that's they're going to give him that one generation at least. So I think four to five years is is the the minimum of uh, the minimum number of, of seasons that they would give uh, Alistair Clarkson. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. If you want to get involved on the phones, your move your Harcourts. You can send us your thoughts on the text as well. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. We will hear from Robbie Gray and Shane Edwards. Uh, in just a moment, if you want to get involved, you can do that. Um, just a couple of calls I can see coming through. There's one there, Dave in Richmond, who uh, wants to have a chat. Evening to you, Dave. How's oh, things? Hey, 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 Jordan. I've, I've been banging on with text messages on board tonight. But anyway, um, I thought I'd talk to you about this Essendon thing. And, and like Alistair Clarkson, yes, he's a great coach, but he had an incredible list to work with. Mm-hmm. We saw Malcolm Blight go to Adelaide Crows and win in his first and second season as coach there. No other coach has done that. He then went to St Kilda, and they were garbage, weren't they? So there's no guarantee. It's what you've got to work with. I just think Essendon, ever since the whole supplement saga, drug scandal, whatever you want to call it, they did the wrong thing, otherwise they wouldn't have been suspended. Ever since that time, they've never recovered, have they? No, I mean they've made finals since the drug scandal, but look the point with the 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 list point that you make. Who built Hawthorne's list though? Like Alistair Clarkson, Clarkson was there. Did. Clarkson well, he would have had an input. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I, I know the recruiters. They they say that the recruiters do the job and and all the you know the the national talent managers do the job and then the coach just takes over from what the the recruiters do. But Clarkson is such a He's such a hands-on, heavy-handed coach with with everything that he does as a coach, but also within the footy department. That he would, I don't think he'd be the kind of coach like apparently most others are, where they let the recruiters recruit, and then the coaches just get the the list that is given to them by the recruiters. I think Alistair Clarkson would 
would would give a fair amount of direction on what kind of players he wants, what he wants to achieve. Um, Clarkson built that Hawthorne team. Yeah, it was a great list, but he built that list. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, that's that's my point on it on him with the list. Is he going to be a good fit for that club? You've seen, like, obviously we were talking about Premier League before. Look at Jose Mourinho. He's been to, like, 12 clubs in 20 years or whatever. He's just, they just can't handle him. And they pay a fortune, bring someone in, it doesn't work. I, I feel bringing in Alistair Clarkson, who's been out of it for a while now, mm. he's a pretty hot-headed bloke. You see when he's not happy, he just loses it. Is that going to fit him with a club like Essen who... Do they really expect there's going to be success within five years? And if it doesn't happen, do you go, oh, I spent $8 million on a coach going, what have we actually achieved? Oh, there's no guarantees, no. But there's no guarantees at all that he'll have any success with Essendon. You can't guarantee anything like that. Um, even towards the end of his tenure at Hawthorne, and this is something I always think about, is he he was not really willing to change his, his coaching philosophy in those last two or three years at the Hawks. Um uh, in 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 changing times where coaching philosophies were becoming more about, uh, particularly on offense, becoming about fast fast b- ball movement, quick attack, counter attack. Clarko still was playing that that possession game, that kick mark game, and he, and he was stubborn to change from that. He was, was quite a stubborn coach in those last three or you know roughly three years at Hawthorne. So I I always think of that too. So yeah, there's no guarantees. He might end up bringing in a stale game plan to Essendon who knows but who is going to be yep. the coach that has that gives you the best chance who's going to be the one that is just purely based on form and form guides if you want to use a horse racing you know analogy he's the one that has the favorable form guide and he's the one that you can at least think in your mind is going to be one of the safest bets well I I think the best coach going around the moment is the Richmond coach Damien Harbick he's an ex Essendon player I know he's still tied to the club at Richmond yep but we've now going to, we're now going to be playing. I'm a Richmond fan, as you're probably aware. This is our eighth final series in the last ten years that we've played. We've only missed in last year because of injuries, and 2016 was a bit of a debacle. But our record's pretty decent, and we're certainly not paying the sort of money to Damien Hardwick that uh, Alistair Clarkson is seeking. It seems like a bit of a mercenary sort of signing to me. Um, there must be better options. Than Clarkson, yes. Mm, I don't know. If, I, don't I would. Know. I'd be looking for a coach like a defensive-minded coach because Essendon's just been leaking goals like the toilet. They're just just a broken toilet. Just ro- the score 146 against them in their home game. Mm. They went to that game favourite with the bookies, and to come out with an 84-point loss is embarrassing. Sure. I want to go rewind back to your previous point. I don't think I don't think signing Alistair Clarkson is a mercenary signing. It's. I think it's a bit of a desperation. I've been going for Ross Lyon. He's going to cost half the price, and he was a far better defensive coach. And that's Essendon's biggest problem is they just can't defend. You run from end to end. Look at that game against Collingwood. They couldn't defend with forty seconds to go. You could have carved him up as well. So many teams are carving him up. I don't think getting the best coach of the modern era is a desperate signing, and and regardless of how you interpret it, any any signing right now from Essendon would be desperate because they are. It looks like they are in a desperate time. They they are, you know, they made finals last season. They haven't won a final in whatever the the Twitter count is up to now. I don't know how many days six thousand mm. and a half six and a half thousand days or whatever it is. Isn't isn't aren't they desperate now anyway? Regardless of who their target is. Possibly, but. I think Harvick's the best. I think Harvick's a better coach than 
um, Clarkson. Yeah. Like grand finals they won. Yeah, Fremantle fell over. They should have won that. They had him on toast in the second half and just couldn't kick straight. West Coast bumbled their way through the 2015 final. Um, there, and yeah, there's, I think there's, his record is great because yeah. he's cocked up on the big day. And there is there is absolute validity in that because he is the the coach with the most recent uh, success. Clarkson's success hasn't been, you know, by the time he he enters the AFL, you know, if he enters the AFL next year, which I'm sure he will with whatever club he goes to, Clarko, he was he's going to be what eight years removed from his his last premiership, whereas Damien Hardwick would have won a premiership, you know, uh, two years ago. So and and his team is still making finals. So yeah, there's absolute validity in saying that Hardwick is the better option to go for. Is he going to leave Richmond? Probably not. I don't think so. There's no real scuttlebutt around anyone targeting Damien Hardwick, but I think there's. I think that's a good point you make. Is that, yeah, Hardwick right now probably looks like he'd be the best option because he's the, mo- the most recent coach with sustained success in the league uh, among few others like Chris Scott and, and, you know, maybe John Longmire. But that's, yeah, and yeah. Simon Goodwin. He actually learned under um, Clarkson, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yep. Yep, he was an assistant at Hawthorne. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Dave. Cheers, bye-bye. Thank you. Dave from Richmond giving us a bell. We'll take our final break here on the Sporting Capital. I've been promising those retirees. We'll get to them next here on SEN. Oh, passionate Bombers fans off the text. 0433981116. David says, if Essendon treats Clarkson the same as Rutten, Clarkson will be sacked next year. Don't know if that's the case, David. Maybe getting ahead of yourself there. Lee says, the Bombers, uh, if the Bombers fail on Clarkson, they must bring Dimmer home. That might not be for a couple more years, so I don't think Clarkson's going to be a one and done at, uh, at Essendon. That'll be, um, that'll be, I don't know. What, what, what would be the minimum amount of years? If Clarkson was to go to Essendon, or North Melbourne. North Melbourne might be a slightly different situation. They'd probably be willing to hang on to him for a lot longer, I would think. But Essendon, what would be the minimum number of years, do you think, that they'd hold on to Clarkson for? I think at least he's going to be at... He, regardless of um, result, I think... Maybe I'm, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm completely off the mark. Maybe I don't know Essendon well enough. But I would say at least four years. I'd say at least he's going to be there at least four years. I'm almost confident enough to say five. Even if each year is a failure of a year, I still think they would give him that much time to because he's got the track record. He's not an unknown quantity like Ben Rutten was when he was coming in because he hadn't coached a team before. Alistair Clarkson's the, the best of the modern era and one of the best there's ever been overall in, in the VFL AFL. So I think they give him at least four Comfortably, I'd say four, and then pushing it to five seasons, and then they might reconsider. But that's you know, five. That's a long time. It doesn't seem like a big number, five, but that's a long time. That's uh, you know, that's you're taking a player from being a 19 year old first season player to uh, to being a sort of entering their prime age of 24 years old and dominating the league, or beginning to dominate the league, or you know, beginning to get into that, into that elite category. Think of someone like Andy Brayshaw right now, and and how old he is, and where he's getting. He's what 22, I think. Andy Brayshaw, yeah, turning twenty three at the end of the year. So you think of it like that. That's a that's a generation of draftees that Clarko would take from his first season into being sort of prime moving elite players. That's that's they're going to give him that one generation at least. So I think four to five years is is the the minimum 
of uh, the minimum number of, of seasons that they would give uh, Alastair Clarkson. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. if you want to get involved on the phones, your move, your Harcourts, you can send us your thoughts on the text as well, Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. We will hear from Robbie Gray and Shane Edwards uh, in just a moment. If you want to get involved, you can do that. Um, just a couple of calls I can see coming through. There's one there, Dave in Richmond, who uh, wants to have a chat. Evening to you, Dave. How's things? Oh, hey, 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 Jordan. I've, I've been banging on with text messages on board tonight. But anyway, um, I thought I'd talk to you about this Essendon thing. And, and like, Alistair Clarkson, yes, he's a great coach, but he had an incredible list to work with. Mm-hmm. We saw Malcolm Blight go to Adelaide Crows and win in his first and second season as coach there. No other coach has done that. He then went to St Kilda, and they were garbage, weren't they? So there's no guarantee. It's what you've got to work with. I just think Essendon, ever since the whole supplement saga, drug scandal, whatever you want to call it, they did the wrong thing. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been suspended. Ever since that time, they've never recovered, have they? I mean, they've made finals since the drug scandal. But, look, the point with the, 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 the list point that you make, who built Hawthorne's list, though? Like Alistair Clarkson, Clarkson was there. Did. Clarkson did. Well, he would have had an influence. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I know the recruiters. They they say that the recruiters do the job, and and all the, you know, the the national talent managers do the job, and then the coach just takes over from what the the recruiters do. But Clarkson is such a, is such a hands on, heavy handed coach with with everything that he does, as a coach, but also within the footy department that he would. I don't think he'd be the kind of coach like apparently most others are, where they let the recruiters recruit. And then the coaches just get the the list that is given to them by the recruiters. I think Alistair Clarkson would 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 give a fair amount of direction on what kind of players he wants, what he wants to achieve. Um, Clarkson built that Hawthorne team. Yeah, it was a great list, but he built that list. So um, yeah, I, yeah, that's that's my point on it on him with the list. Is he going to be a good fit for that club? You've seen, like, obviously we were talking about Premier League before. Look at Jose Mourinho. He's been to, like, 12 clubs in 20 years or whatever. He's just, they just can't handle him. And they pay a fortune, bring someone in, it doesn't work. I, I feel bringing in Alistair Clarkson, who's been out of it for a while now, mm. he's a pretty hot-headed bloke. You see when he's not happy, he just loses it. Is that going to fit him with a club like Essen who... Do they really expect there's going to be success within five years? And if it doesn't happen, do you go, oh, I spent $8 million on a coach going, what have we actually achieved? Oh, there's no guarantees, no. But there's no guarantees at all that he'll have any success with Essendon. You can't guarantee anything like that. Um, even towards the end of his tenure at Hawthorne, and this is something I always think about, is he he was not really willing to change his, his coaching philosophy in those last two or three years at the Hawks. Um uh, in 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 changing times where coaching philosophies were becoming more about, uh, particularly on offense, becoming about fast fast ball movement, quick attack, counter attack. Clarko still was playing that that possession game, that kick mark game, and he, and he was stubborn to change from that. He was it's quite a stubborn coach in those last three or you know roughly three years at Hawthorne. So I I always think of that too. So yeah, there's no guarantees. He might end up bringing in a stale game plan to Essendon who knows but who is going to be yep. the coach that has that gives you the best chance who's going to be the one that is just purely based on form and form guides if you want to use a horse racing you know analogy he's the one that has the favorable form guide and he's the one that you can at least think 
in your mind, is going to be one of the safest bets? Well, I, I think the best coach going around at the moment is the Richmond coach, Damien Harbick. He's an ex-Essendon player. I know he's still tied to the club at Richmond. Yep. But we've now got to, we're now going to be playing. I'm a Richmond fan, as you're probably aware. This is our eighth final series in the last 10 years that we've played. We've only missed in last year because of injuries, and 2016 was a bit of a debacle. But our record's pretty decent, and we're certainly not paying the sort of money to Damien Hardwick that uh, Alistair Clarkson is seeking. It seems like a bit of a mercenary sort of signing to me. Um, it must be better options. Than Clarkson? Yes. Mm, I don't know. If, I don't I would, know. I'd be looking for a coach like uh, a defensive-minded coach because Essendon's just been leaking goals like the toilet. They're just, just a broken toilet. Just ro- the score 146 against them in their home game. Mm. They went into that game favourite with the bookies, and to come out with an 84 point loss is embarrassing. Sure, I want to go rewind back to your previous point. I don't think I don't think signing Alistair Clarkson is a mercenary signing. It's, I think it's a bit of a desperation. I've been going for Ross Lyon. He's going to cost half the price, and he was a far better defensive coach. And that's Essendon's biggest problem is they just can't defend. You run from end to end. Look at that game against Collingwood. They couldn't defend with 40 seconds to go. You could have carved them up as well. So many teams are carving them up. I don't think getting the best coach of the modern era is a desperate signing. And, and regardless of how you interpret it, any, any signing right now from Essendon would be desperate because they are. it looks like they are in a desperate time. They, they are... You know they made finals last season. They haven't won a final in whatever the the Twitter count is up to now. I don't know how many days six thousand and a half, six and a half thousand days or whatever it is. Isn't isn't aren't they desperate now anyway? Regardless of who their target is. Possibly, but I, I think Harvick's the best. I think Harvick's a better coach than um, Clarkson. Yeah, Both grand finals well, they won. Yeah, Fremantle fell over. They should have won that. They had him on toast in the second half and just couldn't kick straight. West Coast bumbled their way through the twenty fifteen final. Um, the, and yeah, there's, I there's, think his there's, record is great because yeah, he's cocked up on the big day. And there is there is absolute validity in that because he is the the coach with the most recent uh, success. Clarkson's success hasn't been, you know, by the time he he enters the AFL, you know, if he enters the AFL next year, which I'm sure he will with whatever club he goes to, Clarko, he was he's going to be what eight years removed from his his last premiership, whereas Damien Hardwick would have won a premiership. You know, uh, two years ago, so and and his team is still making finals. So yeah, there's absolute validity in saying that Hardwick is the better option to go for. Is he going to leave Richmond? Probably not. I don't think so. There's no real scuttlebutt around anyone targeting Damien Hardwick. But I think there's I think that's a good point you make. Is that yeah, Hardwick right now probably looks like he'd be the best option because he's the mo- the most recent coach with sustained success in the league. Uh, among few others like Chris Scott and, and you know maybe John Longmire, but that's yeah, and yeah. Simon Goodwin. He actually learned under um, Clarkson, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yep, yep. He was an assistant at Hawthorne. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Dave. Cheers. Bye bye. Thank you, Dave from Richmond, giving us a bell. We'll take our final break here on the Sporting Capital. I've been promising those retirees. We'll get to them next here on SEN. I'm Jared Waitley. Nathan Buckley expressed his reservations about Essendon's quest for Alistair Clarkson. My worry for 
Essendon and the entire club and supporter group is that they've actually done this the wrong way. I mean, you've got to make a decision on your incumbent coach before you go chasing another one. And if I'm in Alistair Clarkson's shoes, I'm wondering, well, this actually been done in, a, in, in the right way. Tomorrow, Luke Hodge. Hyundai Tucson Turbo Diesel. In stock now. Red Energy, owned by Snowy Hydro, a renewable energy leader. Time for new tyres? At Bridgestone Select, you'll get more with four. Buy three selected Bridgestone tyres and get the fourth free. Limited time only. Conditions apply. For tyres and auto service you can count on, head for Bridgestone Select. Go on, make the call. We all believe in you. One at a time, please. Thousands of Aussies keep switching to Kogan Mobile. But hurry right now. You can get started with Kogan from just $2.90 for 30 days. With unlimited calls and texts and a big 20 gig of data at award-winning prepaid prices. Make the call. Switch to Kogan Mobile from just $2.90 for the first 30 days at koganmobile.com.au slash radio. What makes us Australian? For starters, we're a resourceful lot. We came up with electric shears for our sheep and the mullet for our shearers. Yep, having a crack's in our DNA. So have a crack at this Bluebet offer. For AFL games this week, back a team head-to-head and if they lead by 12 points or more at half-time, we'll pay you out as a winner, up to $100 winnings. Lead by 12 at half-time, you win. Bet with Bluebet, the true blue Aussie bookie. Conditions apply, gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. EnviroHeat, a hot water system that meets the new seven-star rating. The solution is EnviroHeat. Save now and well into the future with energy-efficient water heating technology. EnviroHeat, almost zero to run when connected to solar PV systems. It's solar hot water without the panels. EnviroHeat, perfect for new and existing residential homes delivering plentiful hot water day and night. Visit enviroheatpump.com.au or Google EnviroHeat today. Any body, person, human, personality and character can join Anytime Fitness with a $0 joining fee. Sale starts tomorrow for 24 hours only. Anybody is welcome. Search Anytime Fitness to join. Terms and conditions apply. Every Sunday morning at 10am for Tobin Brothers Celebrating Lives. Join me, Sam Edmund and very special guests on This Is Your Journey. Profiling Australia's sporting greats on and off the field, we enjoy some powerful stories about life, success and the journey along the way. Cycling commentator Matthew Keane. Superstar jockey Glenn Boss. Cricket icon Lisa Stoika. Former Australian off-spinner Tim May. Join me on This Is Your journey 10 a.m sundays on sen for tobin brothers funerals celebrating lives what's one good reason for installing an access hatch in the roof escaping a zombie attack or a safer way to do roof repairs that makes sense roofing and sheet metal center make custom roof hatches from color bond zinc or gal they're great for commercial or residential roofs that need regular maintenance. Or an escape hatch. Ugh. Roofing and Sheet Metal Centre. Everything sheet metal from the roof down. Visit rscentre.com.au today. Kia Welcome to Daryl's Dream Interpretations. Now tell Daryl your dream. Oh, well, Daryl, last night a New Zealander visited me in my dream and said, I hear you're into wellness, before taking me to a geothermal mud bath where we ate oysters beside a talking manuka tree who told us all about Chardonnay. Well, you should book a ticket to New Zealand. That's it. And you're probably hungry. I actually got a sandwich here. Do you want some sandwich? Yeah. Stop dreaming and go. Visit NewZealand.com. 100% pure New Zealand. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. 
final segment of the Sporting Capital. Jordan Canellas filling in for Sam Hargraves. Carlos is with us from Bentley to have a chat about the Alastair Clarkson situation. Evening to you, Carlos. G'day, mate. How are you going today? Good. What are your thoughts? Now, look, um, look I should say, first and foremost, I'm, I'm a Hawthorne fan. But look, I, I, I usually wouldn't call up. But that previous caller who reckons that getting Alistair Clarkson would be what a bit of a mercenary move, I think he said. Yeah. And he wouldn't. Now, look, I've had my nuffy takes, don't get me wrong. I've said some, you know, delusional things. But this, that has to be, to think that Alistair Clarkson has been lucky to have won, what, four, is it four premierships, including one three-peat, yep. in an 18-team competition with equalisation. Like, that's just utter delusion. And if Essendon fans have got that attitude about Clarkson, they wouldn't want him. Look, long may she reign that, that what's it, 17, 18 years of, without winning a final? Look, I hope it's more with that attitude because I think Clarkson shows if he rocks up to Essendon, I really think he takes them places, you know, because, look, he's a master coach. Has he been out of the game for a while? Yes, and also I think another thing I will take into account is Hawthorne haven't been that great those last four years with Clarko, but I will say he does transform Essendon not just from a playing perspective but also... That, that upper, that board level, because they know Clarkson likes to move and shake. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if he's the most delusional call you've had all night, but he has to be up there personally. That that was just unbelievable to call it a mercenary move, and he's been lucky on grand final day. Gee whiz. Yeah, thank you, Carlos. I appreciate the call. Yeah, I, I did pull him up on that, because that's a, uh, to say Clarko's a mercenary, and that would be a, a desperate... A desperate move for us. And I mean, they're desperate nonetheless, but to say Clarkson's a, a move out of desperation... Um, or you know, or that he's a, a desperate coach, or whatever, whatever the take was, is uh, yeah, a little bit perplexing. So I did question him at the time, but there's been a couple of texts come in off uh, off the back of that too. But uh, thank you for your call, Carlos. I appreciate it. Yeah, have a great night, mate. Take care. You too, Carlos from Bentley. Uh, zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen to have your say on the text. Uh, the retirees from today. There were two more. Robbie Gray will end his career on the weekend in the showdown with the Crows. Here's Robbie Gray speaking earlier today about his retirement. It's probably something that's been on my mind for a fair while, to be honest. Um, you know, you get this sort of age and um, probably the issues I've had physically with my body. Um, yeah, I knew it was the right time and as hard as it is to, to make the call and um, uh, admit to yourself, I suppose, it, it is a time. Um, yeah, I'm really comfortable with it, as I just said to the group then. So I um, know it's the right time and uh, looking forward to, to whatever's next. And your way up, whether you could go for another pre-season, try for another year, or whether this was the best way to land it? Uh, yeah, certainly played on my mind a fair bit because um, this year has has been a struggle and I, I did feel really good coming into the year. But, um, yeah, I suppose... Um, after I weighed everything up, um, I just felt this was the right call for, for me personally and probably for the footy club as well. Perfect to end it in a showdown? Uh, yes, uh, I mean, clearly um, they're always great games to play in, so to play in one more and for that to be the last, the way it's happened to work out, um, you know, I certainly look forward to playing this Saturday night. We gave you the dream screen, you kicked the winning goal after the soccer <laughs> Just a win reach would be nice. Well, what's he already said yet? It's catching up. What, what's, what's finally sort of brought you down here? Uh, just, just a knee, really. Um, obviously, I had the, the big operation a long time ago and had a really good run 
for a long time after that. Um, that's got to be grumbly the last few years. And, um, you know, round one had a bit of an incident um, with it. I was able to come back and, and play, but it has been a bit of a struggle. So, um, yeah, that's, that's probably the, the main one. The rest of the body's actually, you know, feeling okay. Robbie Gray, in his speech today to the media, or his press conference with the media, announcing his retirement. And then Shane Edwards also announced his retirement. He'll finish up uh, when Richmond's season finishes up, depending on how deep they go in the finals. But after reaching the 300-game milestone a few weeks ago, the uh, the Tigers, the underrated champion. 300 games is no mean feat at all. That is uh, quite uh, quite a remarkable achievement with all that he's achieved, not only the games played, but also all of his accolades and the premierships and how uh, critical he was to the Tigers' flags. He's calling it a day as well at the end of the year. He was Shane Edwards. First of all, I just want to say to screw you, Lambert, where are you? <laughs> Setting the bar so high for these speeches. I did. <laughs> wanted to do this a few weeks ago. I had to rewrite everything, so thanks, mate. Um, and yeah, you're probably a bit sick of me after the 300 week. Um, so it's probably just going to be another week of me again. So, sorry guys. Um, uh, first of all, I'd just like to say thanks to all those involved um, for giving me the time and space uh, this year to come to this conclusion on my own. Um, you know, at the end of the at the end of the day, it was a pretty easy decision for me. Um, I'm uh, yeah trying to play to the best of my ability out there. And it's, um, yeah, it's pretty obvious to me that I won't be helping us move forward next year. So I'll, uh, I'll be retiring at the end of this season, uh, whenever that'll be. Um, yeah, hopefully a few more weeks. Um, the club's given me everything. It's changed my life forever, and I'll always be connected to the Richmond Footy Club. I came in just turned uh, 18 years old, like a lot of you guys are right now. And well, now I'm, I'm 34 years old, obviously. You, um, talk about my age all the time. I hear about it a hundred times a day from you guys, either that or my grey hair. So I um, feel like a bit of a walking joke at the moment, actually. So um, <laughs> disrespect levels at an all-time low. Um, the first thing I thought of when I you know, look back at my career lately, um, I just thought of how lucky I've been um, on the injury front. Never really had a you know, massive injury. Um, Last year's ankle was probably the worst one I've had, and that's 15 years in. Um, you know, I got to come to a, a a big club with really passionate supporters. It wasn't um, you know, it wasn't really uh, humming when I got here, but you know, it didn't take long for the for the sleeping giant to wake up. Um, Shane Edwards will fade it out there because the whole thing goes for about 10 minutes. So if you want to check it out, Richmond's website will be where it is. But that was the crux of the start of it. And it's, uh, it's a fascinating and also a really heartfelt speech that he gives to the playing group. So you know, check that out on Richmond's media channels. We are done here for the Sporting Capital part of our show tonight. Thank you for joining us. Coming up on the other side of this, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be continuing on, though. Liam Pickering's going to join me in the studio to chat about future stars. Mark Ross is our guest. So we'll have a look at all of the South Australian uh, top draftees for the upcoming NAB AFL draft in November and then without bias coming up later on after that as well so one more hour to go sporting capital done future stars and without bias up next when making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese tomato and aioli so we doubled it chicken and Macca's together and loving it 
Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.